Okay, welcome to the first ever English Danny channel live stream. I'm Dr. Don, and this is the first time we've done this. So uh, there may be some problems, there may be some technical issues, um, but we're uh, working it out on the job. We're doing it live here. Um, let's talk about what we're doing here on this first live stream for the English Danny channel. I have four segments planned today. I have a segment on a quick thinking father. I have a segment on Prince Philip's funeral. I have a segment on this day in history. And then at the end, I have a Q&A segment. So this is a segment where viewers uh, can post uh, questions or comments. And any reasonable and responsible question or comment will be read and addressed on the air if we get it in time. So if you have any questions or comments, please leave them for us now. Uh, and we'll address them in segment four. All right, well, let's get started with our first segment. So on our first segment, we have a video, um, a viral video showing a, uh, it says a quick thinking father who's uh, rescues his son from almost a certain disaster. Um, and if you look at the video, um, the, the, story that I saw on it says, uh, dad's quick reflexes save son from out of control car. And uh, we can take a look at uh, the video and um, uh, learn some English actually from this video. Well, first of all, uh, what are what are quick or fast reflexes? Uh, well, you'll see that in operation in this video. Uh, reflexes means uh, your reactions, your physical reactions to something. Uh, and if you ra react quickly to something, you say you have quick or fast reflexes. Um, and then in the video, if you hit play on the video, we can start going through it. Uh, you can see the, the father's quick reflexes in action. And uh, also in the video, it calls it says it's an out of control car. Uh, out of control means um, it's let, you can see the car moving now. That's out of control. And there's the father's quick reflexes. You can see scoop up his, uh, his son and pull him out of the way. So the car, that's what out of control means. Uh, you can see it backing up rapidly, crashing in. Uh, that's exactly what, uh, that's exactly what out of control means and quick reflexes. That's what that means as well. The, uh, the footage that, um, you see there is what's called surveillance footage. Surveillance footage means footage that's captured by a camera that's just put in place there, a camera that's just, uh, it's just a static camera looking at one thing. Um, that uh, footage that we just saw, the uh, video we just saw is an example of surveillance footage. And uh, that's what that phrase means. And another uh, phrase um, or a word that you can learn from this is, abruptly. In the story, it says the car abrupt, abruptly uh, starts moving backwards. And abruptly means quickly, suddenly, without any warning or without any sign that, uh, that it might be happening. Uh, so that's what happens there. The car abruptly starts going backwards uh, in a way that no one would expect. And it's only the father's quick reflexes that allows him to scoop up his son and move out of the car's way. 
And another uh, word uh, or phrase is presence of mind. So in the story, they say the father showed good presence of mind. Presence of mind means that you're aware of what's going on and you're able to respond to what's going on very quickly and very directly. So uh, great awareness or presence of mind is what the father shows when he sees the car abruptly moving backwards and reacts to it. Okay. So that's another useful phrase there. And then uh, one of the comments on this story says, uh, the father and his son were at the wrong place at the wrong time. Wrong place, wrong time. That's another phrase uh, that sometimes gets used, a kind of a slang phrase in English. Um, there's two different ways of saying it. There's wrong place, wrong time, meaning uh, uh, you're in a, a bad... Uh, Normally, the place will be fine, but because of the situation and because of the timing of it, you're at the wrong place at the wrong time, meaning something bad could happen. And then there's another way of saying it, right place, right time, uh, which is the opposite sense, which means, uh, oh, it was just the perfect situation. Both the place and the time worked perfectly well for whatever it is we wanted to do. But that video was a case of being at the wrong place at the wrong time. And another comment I saw in the story said, oh, the father and his son had a close shave. A close shave. That's an interesting also slang phrase in English. And it means um, uh, a narrow escape or uh, came close to uh, something happening. It could be something good or it could be something bad. Usually it's something bad. And close shave, it comes from the idea of shaving your face. A close shave means you got all the hair off. Your hair, your face is very smooth because you removed everything. So if you have a close shave with something, you came so close that you couldn't even feel a, a, the distance of a hair. So that idea of having a close shave means to come in very close contact with something without quite touching it. So it means for something bad almost to happen. So the father and his son had a close shave with a bad situation. But as it was, nothing bad happened. They, they just stepped out of the way. So that's a case where we would say that's a close shave. Close shave with uh, injury or maybe even death in that video because the car was coming very fast. Okay, so that's our first segment. Let's like take a look at our second segment. The second segment today is on Prince Philip's funeral. And um, this was something covered uh, all over the world. Um, the BBC uh, has a picture from the funeral, uh, which we'll have up in a second. But let's talk for just a second about, well, who was Prince Philip? Why was this an important event? So this was an important event this week. Prince Philip was the husband of Queen Elizabeth, who is, I think, the longest reigning monarch in British history now. Um, Prince Philip was married to Queen Elizabeth for 73 years, and he died on April 9th. He was 99 years old, and it was just two months uh, before his 100th birthday. And in this picture, you can see uh, the four children of uh, Prince Philip and Queen Elizabeth. On the far left in the picture, that's their old, oldest son, Prince Charles, who is the heir to the, the throne of England. 
And then behind him is uh, Prince Andrew, I think. And then over to the right, the, the woman in front on the right, that's uh, the, the Prince Philip and Queen Elizabeth's daughter, Anne. And then behind her is their fourth uh, child, uh, their youngest son. And I think it's, his name is Prince Edward. So that's the royal family there, uh, there for their father's funeral. Prince Philip was actually born in Greece, um, and he moved to, uh, uh, to England when he was 18 years old, um, and he uh, uh, courted a young Prince Elizabeth and then married her um, and uh, was married to her for 73 years. And uh, he was uh, not, he's not British by birth, but he did speak uh, English uh, very well. He was educated uh, partly in France, partly in England. And the reason why he's Prince Philip and not King Philip is he was just married to the queen. So uh, the way it works in England is you don't get to be styled king or queen just necessarily because you're married to uh, the monarch. And in Philip's case, uh, he was uh, uh, not of uh, royal birth, uh, but he was elevated to uh, uh, prince. Uh, and he was called the queen's consort, meaning her, her husband, basically. And he was British. He became a naturalized British subject. I think he was in the uh, British Army for a while. Um, and so there's uh, a lot of things you can learn uh, about uh, uh, British culture and then uh, uh, maybe a little bit about English from this event. Uh, it says in the story that a moment of silence was observed, um, uh, partly because the funeral had to be very understated because of the uh, coronavirus situation. A moment of silence. Uh, this is a common uh, sort of uh, way of recognizing a solemn event. Uh, everyone uh, shares a, a moment or minute of silence um, together as a way of recognizing some important event, usually the funeral or, or death of someone uh, important. Um, and another phrase that you can learn in the story, it says that... Uh, uh, Prince Philip was laid to rest, uh, it says Prince Philip funeral, Duke of Edinburgh. He was also Duke of Edinburgh, laid to rest. So laid to rest is a very, uh, it's a very fancy or uh, uh, elevated way of saying that someone was buried. Okay, so buried is kind of uh, blunt, a very blunt way of saying it. And then laid to rest is a more pleasant way of saying it. Um, so it's an, a way of saying that uh, a, a dead person was buried, as you could say they were laid to rest. And obviously, since this was uh, the prince of uh, the prince of uh, Great Britain um, and the the consort of the queen, BBC is going to say he was laid to rest. They're not going to say he was he was buried. That's a little that would be a little kind of too blunt for this situation. And um, let's see. Okay, so let's now talk a look, uh, uh, think about our third segment. Let's move on to our third segment. Third segment is about this date in history. And I'm going to talk about uh, two days, so two different days. And the reason I'm talking about two different days is because uh, this live stream is broadcast around the world. And in some places, it will be April 17th. And in other places, it will be April 18th. So let's actually talk about uh, this date in history, April 17th, and this date in history, April 18th. Let's start with the, the earlier one first. So what happened on April 17th? Well, 
one event, one important event happened in 1970. On April 17, 1970, the Apollo 13 lunar spacecraft returned safely to Earth. And um, why was this important? Well, right after its launch, and it launched on, I believe, April 11th of that year, they experienced a severe malfunction. Severe malfunction. What is a malfunction? Um, that means for some technical problem, some device to go bad or, or to break down. And in their case, it was an oxygen tank uh, that exploded uh, on their spacecraft, meaning that these three astronauts on board the spacecraft were left 200,000 miles away from Earth without their expected supply of oxygen or their expected supply of electricity or without their expected supply of fuel. So many things were damaged on the spacecraft because of this malfunction, because of this accident that happened. And this put them in a severe logistical problem. And there's another good word is logistics or logistical. Logistics means planning or um, organization. Uh, so uh, this is actually a term that's used a lot in business. Business logistics means organizing when things will be sent, where and how they will be sent or how something will be manufactured, what are the steps of its manufacturing. All of that kind of planning work is included under the term logistics. And in the case of the Apollo 13, they had a logistical problem of how can we get them using the fuel they have and the oxygen they have, how can we get them back to Earth safely? Because they were already moving very, very fast away from Earth. And uh, they didn't have enough fuel to just turn around and come back. So they had to, uh, they had to do a lot of little things that had never been done before. Uh, they had to do little, um, uh, uh, they had to use the uh, repulsor rockets in different ways. And what they did was they made a slingshot around the moon. They slingshot around the moon and they came back to Earth and they were able to do it safely. And on April 17th, 1970, they safely landed on Earth. And this event was portrayed in a Hollywood movie called Apollo 13, uh, in which uh, it shows exactly what happened. That was a dramatic recreation of those events. Okay, so there we go. And well, what about April 18th? So that's our second date in history, April 18th. Well, on April 18th, 1906, an event that was important in American history happened. And that event was the Great Earthquake, the Great San Francisco Earthquake. 1906 San Francisco, an earthquake, which measured around 8.0 on the Richter scale. And if you don't know what the Richter scale is, that is a scale, a system for measuring the intensity of earthquakes uh, and other uh, seismic events, other events involving the shaking of the earth or movement of the earth. And uh, 8.0 is quite high. So at 8.0 earthquake, that was quite severe. And as a result of that earthquake, 3,000 people died. And not only that, many buildings in San Francisco were destroyed. I think at the end of uh, at the end, it was 30,000 buildings were destroyed by the earthquake. And not just the earthquake, but fires were created. So as a result of the destruction, fires broke out. 
And the fires were so severe that uh, that some buildings had to be blown up uh, to create a firewall to prevent the fire from moving any further. Uh, so um, and uh, a lot of people were trapped by the by the fires and they had to bring in uh, the U.S. Army and firefighters from all over the country to help battle the, the blaze. And 20,000 people had to be rescued from the fires. So the U.S. Navy had to send its ships in to rescue 20,000 people uh, who were trapped by fires. So this great San Francisco earthquake happened, um, and that just, it killed 3,000 uh, 3, people and destroyed 30,000 buildings, including most of the homes in San Francisco and most of the uh, central business district of the city. So if you go to San Francisco today, there are very few buildings that are older than 1906 because of the great San Francisco earthquake, that event that happened on this date in 1906. Now, I have one more uh, segment today, and that is a, uh, that's the Q&A segment. So here's our segment where we respond to questions and comments from viewers uh, like you. Now, first, uh, we have a, a comment or question that was left on, um, I think it was on the Facebook page or may have been our uh, YouTube channel. I'm not sure exactly which, but someone asked about the difference between saying that something is predominantly uh, true or something is usually true. What's the difference between predominantly and usually? And that's an interesting question. So, so here is uh, one way to think about the difference between those two words. There is some overlap between the two words. So there's some, some, some sense in which the words are distinct, but some sense in which there is some overlap in meaning. And so there are some situations where you could use either word. But usually, usually is a word that is almost entirely about frequency meaning how how often you do something, how frequently you do something. Uh, so for example, you could say, uh, I usually wake up at nine o'clock. I usually wake up at nine o'clock. You would not say I predominantly wake up at nine o'clock. You could, but that would be very unusual because this is a question about frequency. Uh, predominantly um, is about, is about, it, it's equivalent in meaning to mainly um, or for the most part. So you would use predominantly in a situation where I could say something like, uh, the people in my town are predominantly Koreans, meaning they're mainly Koreans. Mostly they are Koreans. So you could say predominantly that's, that's a more uh, advanced uh, level word uh, than, let's say, mainly or mostly, uh, but it has a similar meaning to those. I wouldn't say usually in that case. It would be uh, because that's that's about what's mostly the case or mainly the case. That's not about frequency. So that's the difference between those two words. Usually is about frequency. I usually wake up at nine. I usually go to bed at 10. And predominantly is, a, is equivalent uh, in meaning to mainly or mostly. All right, so do we have any other uh, examples? And, uh, so we're waiting for some other examples. I'll talk a little bit more about um, 
Well, there is overlap between uh, those two words. So sometimes they can mean, uh, they can be used uh, the same. Ah, so we've got a high welcome from Ibad Khan. Uh, welcome to you as well. How are you doing? Where are you from? And then uh, I'm not going to try to, <laughs> I'm not going to try to pronounce that, but uh, Namur from Peru says hi. He's from Peru. Welcome. So, uh, so it's good to hear people. Matt Lindell says, hi, guys. Hi to you as well, Matt. Hope you're doing well. Uh, glad to meet you too. All right. So it's good to get some viewer feedback here. Uh, always nice to respond to people. Uh, let's see. Hi, what does portrayed mean? Portrayed uh, is a way of, uh, of meaning shown. Uh, someone is shown in some way. They are portrayed in such a way. So you could say, for example, um, or you could even, it could also mean played, played in the sense of acted by. So in the movie Lincoln, the American president, Abraham Lincoln, is portrayed by the actor, Daniel Day-Lewis. He portrays Abraham Lincoln. That means he plays or shows Abraham Lincoln. Uh, so he portrays him. And you could also uh, say um, in a very famous uh, portrait, of George Washington that's in the uh, White House. Um, uh, the president, the first president of the US, George Washington is portrayed standing uh, in front of the Capitol, portrayed, he's shown. Okay, so that's an example of how you would use portrayed or shown. And you can see that the word portrayed has some similarities with the word portrait. And a portrait is a picture, right? A portrait is a, it could be a drawing of somebody or a painting of someone. Um, so that's another way of saying uh, shown. Alyssa Marie's totally blind. I hope not. And, uh, but says hello and hello to you as well. Good to hear from you. Primarily, primarily. What about primarily? Primarily, mostly. Primarily is also has a sense of, oh, lolly lolly. I've heard of uh, lolly lolly. Uh, welcome from France. Bonjour. Salut. <laughs> and uh, uh, Suleiman says, thanks so much. Thanks so much to you as well. Very good to hear from you. Uh, hi from uh, BitTorrents. Good to hear from you. Uh, oh, Yabad Khan is in Pakistan. Okay, welcome. Welcome from Pakistan. Andronico says hello from Chile. Welcome to you from Chile. And a welcomes from uh, Morocco. Okay, so we're getting all over the world. Uh, viewers from all over the place. Pakistan, Chile, Morocco, Peru, France. This is great. Alexander Litvininko says uh, hello. Okay, this is great. It's good to hear from all of you. Uh, what is the phrase, the fact of the matter? Well, the fact of the matter. This is kind of a, um, this is kind of a cliche term. Um, but uh, actually, there's two related terms. There's matter of fact. If something is a matter of fact, uh, it is um, it is uh, true, right? It is a uh, it is a matter of fact. But if something is the fact of the matter, um, that's another way of saying um, it's, I guess, the truth of the case. Um, it is the um, it is the uh, the the facts. The facts of the matter. Um, yeah, the truth is probably the best way of defining it. Um, you can see how the truth is a much shorter way of saying that. Uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, is just a phrase that people use as well.
And uh, so if I wanted to say something like, uh, uh, well, the fact of the matter is uh, uh, that uh, uh, this person is guilty. So I could say that in a, in a trial. And it sounds a little bit more dramatic to say it that way. The fact of the matter is this man is guilty. Uh, we saw we got a welcome from Ukraine. That's really good, too. Good to hear from people from, uh, from all over the world. That's fantastic. Ghana. Okay, great. Okay. Jack says hello from, uh, from Ghana. And another person from, uh, from Pakistan. Do I know this country? Yes, I've met uh, in, uh, uh, in one of my jobs overseas. Um, I uh, had a friend who was a, um, he was a volunteer worker from Pakistan. Uh, so I've met some people from Pakistan in my travels. Good to hear from you. Let's see. Any other good questions or uh, uh, or comments? I'll try to answer answer any good, reasonable questions or comments from people. Where are you from? That's always good. I'm from the United States, as you know. Or maybe you don't know. If this is the first time watching, maybe you don't know that yet. Uh, oh, you can. You might have questions about something that I talked about in one of the segments. You can ask me that as well. Some of them I might have to look up, but uh, others I'll. Uh, I might be able to answer on the fly. On the fly, that's another uh, phrase, and it means uh, to do something um, on the spur of the moment, or to do something in the moment uh, while it's happening, uh, without any planning or preparation. You do it on the fly, you would say, uh, meaning you're already moving, you're already on the go, you're already going. Yeah, On the fly, that's a phrase that I use quite a bit because that's often how I do things when I'm teaching. Figure out or work out. Are they interchangeable? Um, yes, they are interchangeable. Um, they're pretty similar in meaning. Um, I, I would use them almost uh, uh, interchangeably. Is there a difference? Well, is uh, figure out is um, figure out the, the, if there's a difference? Uh, figure out suggests that you realized something. Ah, I figured it out. Uh, maybe it just came to you, uh, or maybe uh, you rested for a little bit and then and then your mind sort of did it. Work something out or work it out does suggest that you did some effort. So if you work something out or work out something, uh, that that does that usually implies maybe a little more effort. So that's probably the biggest difference. Um, so if, uh, you could use them, but there, again, there's overlap between them. There's some overlap between them. There's cases where you could use either one and people would understand what you meant. Uh, but I'm going to work out the problem. That means I might have to think about it a bit. I'll figure out the problem means the answer might just come to me, or it could also mean I might have to work it out. We got a greetings from, uh, Jacob in India. Welcome to you too, sir. Uh, difference between bribe and corruption. Okay. So, Corruption is a state. Corruption is a situation. So um, uh, a bribe is a specific act. So, and it's specifically the act of I'm going to give money uh, to a, an official. Let's say it's a government official, but it doesn't. It's not necessarily always a government official. It could be business, but let's say let's let's use a uh, uh, government. I if I give I tell this government official my company uh, will provide. $10 million for your re-election campaign if you make this law that can benefit us. That's a bribe. And if the and if the if the official accepts that bribe, 
he's engaged in corruption. <laughs> That's the difference. Okay. So the bribe is my offer. There's a quid pro quo. I give this and you give that. That's the bribe. Corruption is when it's accepted. Corruption is when the bribe has been taken. Um, uh, and when there's a when there's a condition in which bribes are often accepted, we can say that a lot of corruption exists in a certain situation, right? So a place where corruption exists is a place where bribes almost certainly exist. And sometimes corruption becomes so extent that the bribes aren't even direct. It just sort of happens unspoken without people even saying it, right? Because sometimes you don't have to say things to let people know what you want. Uh, what about for that matter? Like, I don't smoke or drink for that matter. Um, in, that, in that case, you're saying, I don't smoke. And for that matter, meaning in addition, also, I also don't drink. Okay, so that's the sense of the for that matter in this case. So I don't smoke and I also don't drink for that matter. Uh, so you could, uh, it's a way of uh, indicating that you don't do something else or uh, uh, would it always be used in a negative sense? I'm not sure about that. I'd have to think about that one uh, to be completely sure. Remember, I'm doing this on the fly. So uh, so, I, so some of them I might have to think about a little bit more uh, to give a, a most precise answer. But just looking at it off the top of my head, I would say uh, the difference is, or the, the meaning of that is, uh, is that uh, it's in addition. From South Africa, I'm honored by being recognized. You, sir, we need you so much. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm honored by your watching our videos. I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for watching. Uh, we've got some coworkers here from uh, South Africa, so it's good to hear, it's good to hear from you uh, down there. Uh, please, can you, uh, I missed that when it went by too quickly. Uh, can you explain modal verbs for us? Well, that's a big question. Uh, I might have to, we might have to do a video on that uh, to go into more detail. Modal verbs is a very big topic um, that uh, that can take some time to really get into. What are modal verbs? Uh, that, 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 that's not something I can answer in just a, uh, a few minutes on a live stream. We'd have to go into detail on that. Uh, but modal verbs, just the quick uh, version of that is uh, uh, verbs like might, could, and would. Verbs that are expressing a situation other than something is the case, right? I ran, you know, running happened. You know, <laughs> I was running. Uh, I, I am running now. I will run. These are just facts, you know, things that happened or didn't. But if I said I might run, okay, now we're getting into a modal situation. We're getting into a situation where it's not just a fact anymore because it might happen if I ran. Okay, so now that's a hypothetical. We're getting into a more of a modal situation. So that's that's the quickest way of explaining uh, what a modal verb is. It's a verb that's expressing an idea other than um, uh, just what's going on. Hey, and hey, if you want to know more about modal verbs, you can check out our video on this exact topic. So Sarah has a verb, uh, has, has a verb. Sarah has a video on modal verbs, should, ought, and must. Those are three common modal verbs. Should you watch it? Yes, you should. You ought to watch it. You must watch it. Okay. And can can be a secondhand experience watching live news and travel vlogs. You can have, yeah, secondhand experiences by doing that, right? A secondhand experience. So firsthand means direct. You did it. Uh, secondhand means from, uh, from another person. 
so something it's firsthand, it's direct. Something that's secondhand, it's indirect. It's from another person. Uh, so if I, um, here's another case of using secondhand. I have firsthand information uh, that, um, that Bob is quitting. Bob told me. So that's firsthand information. He told me. That's direct, firsthand information. I have secondhand information that Bob is quitting. Bob told Fred, who told me. That's secondhand. I heard it from Fred, who heard it from Bob. So there's your difference between firsthand and secondhand. And obviously, firsthand is a little more reliable, a little more solid. But if the secondhand source, if the firsthand, if the secondhand source is reliable, is good, then it, it's good. So if Fred is, doesn't doesn't lie, if Fred doesn't spread rumors, if Fred is a friend of Bob's. That's good information too. And so if you're watching uh, travel vlogs and it's a good channel, that's a good secondhand source. You can get good information. So we got some more uh, people saying hello. Very good. I'd say that sort out and figure out are interchangeable. They are. They are very interchangeable. Um, yeah, sort out. I think sort out seems more like... Um, it seems more British English than me. Uh, uh, we do say that in the U.S., but uh, but uh, I, I know my British friends are, are more likely to say things like, you need to sort it out. Sorry for that bad accent. Uh, but they'll say things, you need to sort it out, or it's sorted. Um, and then uh, we don't say that quite as much. But yes, yeah, sort out could be, uh, could be interchangeable with figure out. I would agree with that. Haggling and bargain. Um, What's the difference between haggling and bargain? Okay, so haggling is the process. Um, now, let's let's say bargaining, haggling and bargaining. Those two are pretty similar. So if you're um, um, if uh, if I'm let's say I want to buy, let's say I'm, I'm in the the uh, the Grand Bazaar in Istanbul, and I want to buy a rug, and the guy says, "Well, the rug." is a uh, hundred Turkish lira. And I say, well, that's too much. Uh, how about I'll give you 50 Turkish lira. And he says, mm, I can't sell it for less than 90. And I say, well, I can go 55. Now we're haggling. We could even say we're bargaining. Okay. Because I'm trying to get a lower price and he's trying to get the highest possible price. So we're trying to come to some arrangement on what I will pay for this rug. And you could use haggling or bargaining kind of interchangeably. Haggling has more of a sense of the struggle of it. Uh, to me, there's more of an emotional sense of there's a, a battle going on. And then bargaining is more of a neutral sense of it's just a negotiation. And then haggling is more of a sense of an emotional uh, as well as an economic interchange where I'm really trying to get a deal. He's really trying to, uh, to uh, get a deal as well. Uh, so I would say Haggling has more of an emotional connotation than bargain bargaining does. And just the word bargain, not using it as a uh, not using it as a verb, but using it as a noun, a bargain is a deal. A bargain is a a, a good deal, a good price. Um, so if uh, somebody says, "Hey, I bought that rug and I only paid fifty Turkish lira for it, somebody might say, "That's a good bargain. That's a bargain. Okay, so there's your difference. You wouldn't say that's a haggle. That wouldn't that wouldn't really make sense, uh, but you could say that's a bargain. That would make sense. Um, uh, that's a haggle. Haggle as a noun really refers to the combat, the discussion to try to get the best deal. Uh, 
so some people like haggling. Some people don't like haggling. Uh, I'm not a big fan of haggling. I'm not very good at it, but I am a fan of a bargain. I like to get a good bargain. All right. We got a thanks. Good. Thanks to you as well for listening. Uh, a hi from Madagascar. That's great. Uh, Madagascar is an interesting uh, country, a very interesting history. Uh, I've actually read a book on uh, uh, a, a queen of Madagascar, Ravalona, I think, Ravalonova. I think I'm, I may be pronouncing it wrong, but uh, she was from the 19th century. So very interesting uh, ruler of Madagascar a long time ago. So uh, I know a little bit about the country. Um, let's see, do we have any other questions or comments? These are really good, and it's very good to get uh, this kind of feedback from, from you guys. Um, let's see, from Pakistan, which to, wish to learn more about English? Well, the good news is the English Danny channel is a great place to go. We have more videos that you can watch to learn more about English, and I hope to have more live streams like this coming up every week. Um, where you can do that. Is it accept acceptable to spend, say, I spent a great time rather than I had a great time? I came across this on common grammatical mistakes in an exam. Well, uh, I would not say that. I would not say I spent a great time. I would definitely say I had a great time. Um, I would just say I spent time. I spent some time doing it. Uh, that's fine. You could say I spent time doing it. But you wouldn't say, I spent a great time. And uh, part of the reason for it is um, because uh, time is one of those words. It's kind of like if you know the difference between count and non-count nouns. And I believe we have an English Danny channel video on that, uh, which explains some of the difference there. Um, saying a great time seems a little weird because time is one of those kind of a non-count noun uh, where... It sounds a little awkward to a native speaker to say, I spent a great time. Uh, but you can say, I spent time just generally, uh, but had a great time is what you would say there. I had a great time. That's That makes sense. Um, what is negotiation? Well, negotiation is a discussion between two people uh, to try to come to some kind of arrangement, some kind of agreement. The most, uh, the most common kind of negotiation that I often think of is a business negotiation. Uh, but another kind of negotiation is just sales. Uh, so you go to a shop. If I go to a shop and I say, I'd like to buy um, that rug, um, and the, the, the seller says, you can have it for 100 lira, and I say, I'll pay 50, we're in a negotiation. We're, we're haggling. Or you could say, we're in a negotiation. We're negotiating. So we're in a negotiation. That's the noun. We're negotiating. That's the verb. Negotiate means to discuss something with someone, to try to come to an agreement. Can we use while with the past perfect? Um, I think so. Uh, can you think of an example sentence uh, that you're trying to, uh, trying to use there? Um, uh, and I'll try to see if that works in the specific case that you're thinking of. Um, so, um, there, you, there may be something specific that you're thinking of. Um, so I'll try to address that, uh, if I can. Uh, so past perfect. Um, usually you can. Um, okay. So, um, so past perfect, you're going to talk about something, uh, something that uh, had been done. Um, 
um, yeah, I think, uh, so here's an example. You could say, while I was doing this uh, live stream, uh, a new video had just been posted uh, to the English Danny channel. I don't know that that's true, <laughs> but I think I could say that. Uh, so you can use it. Uh, you can use while. While something was happening, happening, something else had already happened. So uh, even while uh, um, uh, he was speaking, uh, the other person had already finished his test. Yeah, so you're uh, you're saying that something had been completed while something was going on. So yeah, that, you can do that. Yeah, I think you can do that. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Anything else? Please do. It's really helpful. What's the opposite of hungry? Full. The opposite of hungry would be full, or the opposite of hungry. If I wanted to be, if I wanted, if I wanted to make a joke, I could say is Austria, <laughs> because uh, Hungary, H uh, U N G A R Y, is a country in Europe, and it used to be joined with Austria as a, a an, an empire called the Empire of Austria, Hungary. <laughs> so, but hungry, I think you mean in the sense of I need to eat. So, I think the opposite of hungry is full. Opposite of hungry is full. What's the difference between trade and business? Um, so trade, uh, um, trade is more of a give and take uh, between people. Um, and then business um, is just a general word for uh, anything being done. Um, so let me see. Actually, trade has other meanings, though. Um, so uh, trade, so trade. Um, when you're trading, you're buying and selling. Um, uh, but well, here I'll give you an example. So um, uh, uh, when when Ford makes a car, right? They're not engaged in trade, but they are engaged in business, right? They're just making the car. Right, they're engaged in business. They're building a product, and then later they'll sell that product. Yes, and they will get involved in trade. And when they uh, need the parts to make the car, they're going to engage in trade because they're going to buy uh, those uh, the parts they need from people that supply them. You know, like they're going to need uh, rubber for the tires. They're going to need metal for the the body. They're going to need glass for the windows uh, and the the front windshield. Uh, so they'll engage in trade in order to carry on their business. Um, so yeah, business, uh, trade is a part of business is a way of thinking about it. Um, so business will include trade, but include other things. There's other activities like just purchasing. Uh, it'll also involve negotiations. It'll also involve advertising. Like, so if there's an advertising company, so an advertising company, are they really engaged in trade? No, they're not buying and selling. What they're doing is they're making an advertisement. Okay, but then they may engage in a little trade when they sell their advertisement uh, or offer it to uh, uh, a TV channel, say, for example. Uh, but the making of the ad or the making of advertising, uh, that's that's a part of business, right? So that's really the difference there. Um, what are my qualifications? My qualifications... I have a uh, uh, I have a master's and a PhD in English uh, language and literature uh, from a university in the United States. Uh, so those are my qualifications. And then I've been teaching. I also have some experienced qualifications. I've taught at American universities for about seven or eight years, 
and I've taught overseas at overseas universities uh, for this is now my eighth year uh, teaching overseas. So about 15 years university teaching experience, teaching everything from uh, 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 literature courses to negotiation courses, business, business English, uh, and just English grammar and English speaking and conversation. Uh, so I've taught a lot of um, uh, taught a lot of people, including native speakers and not native speakers, uh, about the English language. Uh, please, a deal, a bargain, the same thing. A deal and a bargain. Yeah, again, this is a case where there's going to be a lot of overlap there. That's a deal. That's a bargain. A lot of times, um, you're going to want to say that those are just about um, the same. So would you say that something is a deal or is a, a bargain? Uh, well, the thing is, you could also say, um, I, I'm more likely to say that something is a good or a bad deal. You could say something's a good bargain or a bad bargain, uh, but it's more common to say something like, I got a good deal um, to mean a bargain. Uh, so a bargain already implies that it was probably good, um, whereas a deal is more neutral. Uh, so you would say good deal to specify. No, it, it, it was a really good deal. Now, deal can mean good, but sometimes you might specify specifically by saying, no, no, it was a good deal or oh, it was a bad deal. I made a deal, but it was a bad deal. I didn't I didn't I didn't win out of it. So, uh, um, yeah, that's I, th I think there's there's a, there's the difference there. Even though, again, there's a lot of overlap with those two words, deal and bargain. Let's see. How am I? I'm good. How are you? I hope you're doing well. Let's see. Uh, how to speak English like a native? Well, uh, I think one of the it, it's difficult to do, but uh, the key is uh, a lot of listening and a lot of practice. Uh, so you should listen uh, to people speaking in English. Um, and uh, and practice it when you can. You know, one way that you can you can do it as well uh, is uh, you can also practice sing singing things and learning some English songs and singing them because uh, that can also help you a bit too. Um, I've noticed that uh, that sometimes that's more fun uh, to learn the lyrics of a song, and then you also learn the sort of the meaning and the feeling of the words uh, because there's an emotion in the song. So that might be something that can help you out if you're finding if you're having trouble is get a, a song that you like in English and learn how to sing it. Uh, that might help you. Am I using per se correctly? Now per se is a Latin phrase. It comes from the Latin language, which we borrowed into English. Uh, we're not dating per se. Uh, yeah. So uh, yes, that is correct. Uh, it's just that we hang out uh, uh, and get to know each other more. So yes, you are using that correctly. That is the meaning of it. Uh, but you could probably tell that, uh, and it looks like per se, right? But it's usually pronounced uh, per se. Per se means by itself or in itself. So we're not dating. We're not uh, uh, dating per se. You know, we're not we're not dating by itself. You know, if you in the literal meaning of that word, we're just hanging out. That's all we're doing. So you could use it that way. So yeah, that's a um, that's a, uh, a phrase that we borrowed um, from from Latin. What is the name given to the time difference between the nationals? Well, I'm not sure exactly what you mean by that. Um, uh, the time difference between um, uh, who, for example, because um, there's different meanings for different time differences. We have time zones, so 
for example, in the United States, there's the Eastern. So if you live in New York or Washington, D.C., you're in the Eastern time zone. And then if you live in California, you're in the Western time zone. And that would be a name given to that difference. But you could also say there's the international dateline and people on one side of it are uh, on one day, like, for example, April 17th. And people on the other side of it are on the next day, say, April 18th. How can I remove spelling mistakes? Um, okay, so what uh, the way to get better at spelling is to read a lot. Uh, I tell even native speakers this because native speakers often make mistakes. Learning how to spell in English is very difficult. Uh, the, the spelling of English is very strange because the reason why it's strange is because the sounds of words changes quicker than spelling changes. And so a lot of spelling of words reflects the way that words were pronounced 400 years ago. So the pronunciation has changed, but the spelling has remained the same. And I, I can't explain all the reasons for that, but, but that's why that is. And so some words are difficult for native speakers to, to understand. The way to get better at spelling, spelling is to read a lot. The more you read, your mind will start to recognize, wait a minute, that just looks wrong. And so you will just in instinctively recognize, hmm, that's not the right spelling because you will have seen the word spelled correctly many times. So read a lot and read, uh, read high-level things. Uh, so don't read just like... Um, uh, a newspaper here or an internet article there, but read published books, meaning that an editor has corrected the spelling very well. Uh, and re read like literature or philosophy or something you enjoy, history, something that you like, because if you like it, you're more likely to do it. And read a bunch of things. And uh, the more you are exposed to English words, the better you will get at spelling. In the COVID context, what are jab? A jab is a shot. So an injection, a jab, so they a jab means to stab something. <laughs> and so just like they're stabbing you in the arm with the needle, they're injecting you, you could say it's a jab. Um, and that that used to be uh, predominantly, they would say that in uh, uh, British English, but we've adopted it now in the U.S. I've, I hear even Americans and um, Canadians referring to jabs now. So um COVID is such an international situation that this word has gotten spread around more. So yeah, can flat out mean downright? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. Uh, that is flat out wrong. That is downright wrong. Um, uh, you could say that. Um, it can, and there can be overlap between the two. You are flat out correct. Per day, Per and uh, uh, and by per day, uh, by day, day by day, um, yeah. So, what is the difference um, between those? Um, I have to think about that one um, for a second. So, per diem is another use of per. So, um, uh, Well, one difference is that um, by has other meanings that per doesn't. So per is for each, for each. So per day, for each day. Um, but by also has the means of, by means of, using something. 
so I came here by car. You couldn't say I came here per car. That wouldn't make sense because per doesn't mean by means of. It only means for each. So, uh, so you could say here, uh, you could say, but you could, in the cases where by does mean for each, you could use per or by interchangeably. Uh, so I do this day by day. I do this uh, per day, take one per day. Uh, that makes sense. You could say that again and tell me about it. Um, are these synonymous? In feeling, yeah, they just about are. It just has a feeling of oh, just a general agreement, a general sort of yes, I I, I agree with that uh, feeling. Yes, they, they they basically are. I mean, you can get into some technical differences, but uh, yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, has the same sort of feeling. Like you get that again. Uh, uh, tell me about it. Uh, uh, let's 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 look at what a difference might be. Tell me about it might be more for a negative thing. Right. Ah, oh, boss is terrible. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. He is terrible. You could say that again. You you could you could use that. Um, but uh, but usually you don't want them to say that again because the boss might hear you. You don't want him to hear. And so tell me about it is a little bit better for agreeing with a negative sentiment. Whereas you could say that again. Uh, you could do that, but it's a little better to use for positive statements only. Um, disgust. Disgust. I do pronounce it that way. Disgust. He, um, and that does sound like disgust. 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 I feel nothing but disgust. We discussed it yesterday. You hear a difference? I'm not sure that there's a big difference there the way I pronounce those words. Um, maybe a little bit, but yeah, he turned away from, uh, from, from the, the site with disgust. We discussed discussed it. There's more of a D, I guess, in the discuss ed discussed uh, version. All right, these are really good questions. We've gone for a long time here, so I'm going to wrap up our live stream in a few minutes here. Thank you, everyone, for watching. I really appreciate everybody tuning in today. This has been great, and I hope it's been helpful for you. And we'll see you next week. All right, see you next time. <laughs>